Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome everyone. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I host the show each week and we are going to talk about all things political. Uh, First off though, uh, we need to take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, As the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, we have just uh, completed uh, passing through the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the plane that was downed by its own passengers in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, uh, on this date back in 2001. Uh, one of the things from uh, a, a political standpoint that probably a primary outcome of you know this tragedy was that it served uh, a singular purpose to unify the country. Uh, in the uh, immediate aftermath of uh, that day, uh, the, the country came together as almost never before and rallied around uh, America. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, you know, all of those differences that we saw back then uh, were, were put aside. The country was consumed with getting to the bottom of who was responsible for this heinous act. Uh, you know, where did they come from? How did they accomplish uh, this feat of flying you know, two uh, large uh, passenger airliners into the two towers of the World Trade Center, ultimately leading to their collapse? as well as flying a third into uh, one wing of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and a fourth plane that uh, was allegedly uh, targeting either the Capitol building or the White House uh, was stopped by a brave group of passengers on board who fought their way and took control and ended up uh, deliberately crashing that plane uh, into a field in uh, East Central Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the nation uh, was, as I said, consumed with finding out uh, who was responsible for this, you know, why uh, it happened. And over the course of the next uh, you know, 10 years uh, and more, because we're still you know, pursuing and bringing to justice uh, people who led and uh, participated in that uh, that tragedy on 9/11, um, but you know, most importantly, uh, after a a 10-year search, uh, the the leader of the Al Qaeda movement at the time, who was believed to be the mastermind behind the plot, uh, Osama bin Laden was uh, finally uh, located and uh, was was killed by an American SEAL team. And I I don't know if you remember uh, the night that uh, then-President Obama came out uh, to the East Room and announced to the nation that, uh, that Osama bin Laden had been found and had been killed. Uh, there was a tremendous uproar as Americans across the board, Democrats, Republicans, independents, and everybody celebrated uh, what they saw as at least the start of a victory over Al-Qaeda and bringing the people who perpetrated uh, that event uh, to justice. Um, you know, it, it has continued uh, in the years since. Uh, additional members of uh, bin Laden's leadership team that, you know, planned and, and carried out the attack have been identified, have been located, and uh, have been uh, taken out. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it was a, uh, a very triumphant, period of time for the United States. It was a time like, as I said, uh, almost no other 
where the country was truly unified. Uh, if we look you know, back across the years and see where we have come uh, from then to where we are now, uh, it really kind of boggles the mind as to how we have gotten to the point we have come to with the divisions in this country when, in fact, we know that uh, it is more than possible for America to be a united nation, to uh, work together across political, uh, ideological, religious, racial, uh, and, and all other boundaries toward the common goal of moving our nation forward. Um, you know, and you know, it, it was, as I said, a time of celebration uh, that you know, uh, some levels of justice had been delivered to the perpetrators of the act. Now, you know, many of us, and, and probably you know, everyone within the sound of my voice, knows someone who either um, was involved in the rescue, uh, first responders for 9/11, or perhaps uh, may have been a victim. Of it, or you know, if you don't know someone directly, someone you know probably knows someone, you know, uh, degrees of separation, as it's called. Uh, for me personally, um, you know, it it was all brought home uh, on the uh, Super Bowl that was played, you know, after the attack in 2002. Um, I don't remember. Uh, what teams played. I don't remember what the final score was. What is seared in my memory is the halftime show um, and the, the uh, pregame singing of the national anthem by Whitney Houston, um, which was a, an absolute uh, tremendous rendition of that song. But more importantly for me, what brought it back was during the halftime show, they scrolled a list of the names of the people who were known to have died at that time from the attack uh, you know, on, on New York, Washington, and, and in Pennsylvania. And I was watching it, and a name scrolled up the screen of someone I know or knew. Uh, and since then, and every year since, I have dedicated a portion of the time on September 11th to remembering and thinking about the memory of Myra Joy Aronson, who I worked with for several years up in Massachusetts, uh, and you know who was uh, a friend. She had a quirky sense of humor. She was uh, part of our marketing team. She was really good at what she did. Uh, but she had this thing where whenever she had to go to New York for a meeting or a conference or whatever, she always, always would you know, get up at the way too early uh, time of day because of where she lived in uh, north central New Hampshire and would drive down to Boston's Logan Airport and get on the first shuttle to New York in the morning. And I remember, you know, giving her uh, some 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 ribbing about it as to, you know, why she would get up at the you know the crack of dawn, you know, three o'clock in the morning, to drive down to Logan Airport to take the shuttle, and she'd giggle and say, "Well, you know, the, the first shuttle, the planes are cleaner, the coffee is fresher, the the fruit and bagels are fresher, uh, and it, it's just a a quiet, comfortable flight down." So it was with some level of shock that I realized as I saw her name scroll up among the list of the people who died in that first plane that went into, um, I believe it was the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And you know, Im immediately among the shock, I remembered that, yes, she always took that first shuttle. And you know, I, I couldn't help but think at the time that you know, if she had been caught up in traffic or some other scenario that you know you encounter when you're trying to get to the airport to go somewhere, uh, and had missed that flight, that she would you know likely still be with us today, spreading her unique uh, 
uh, level of joy and quirky humor uh, to her, her friends and, and associates. So, you know, like, as I said, like many uh, people in this country who either know somebody or know somebody that knows somebody or know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody else uh, of a person who, um, you know, died or was injured uh, in 9-11. I know someone personally who uh, died on that day. And my thoughts on the 11th of September uh, on these anniversaries always go not only to all of the uh, several thousand people uh, who perished perished rather on that day or have perished since, my thoughts always end up coming back and centering around the memory of Myra Joy Aronson. Uh, so you know to her, I say, rest in peace, um, still thinking about you, still in my thoughts uh, and you know hopefully, um, you know, th- things uh, in your your spirit is resting comfortably wherever you are. So just, you know, a- as we take a moment to think about what happened 22 years ago, take a moment and think about how many people were affected. Think about how many families were forever changed. Think about all of the the energy, the positive energy uh, the the efforts for good that were cut short on that fateful day. And then contrast that with where we are today. Look at, you know, how divided the, the acrimony between, you know, political parties, the, the fighting and the infighting and, and all of the things we see every day now in our news and realize that, you know, it, it unfortunately it takes an event like a 9-11 to make all of that go away, at least for a short period of time. And I, I dare say that I am not alone in thinking how wonderful it would be if we could have that same sense of unity that we had post 9-11 every day here in this country. So again, my thoughts go out to the memory of Myra Aronson and all of the uh, nearly 4,000 people who died on that day and the, the thousands that have died since. So take a moment and just reflect on that. Some of you, you know, may have been, you know, toddlers or babies or not even born. But many of you out there, as I said, know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody, etc., uh, who was directly impacted by that day. So just wanted to you know, put that out there. Uh, as always, I do this every year and you know, reflect on how America was forever changed and wish that we could get back to that spirit of unity that we felt uh, after 9-11. So if we contrast uh, where we were then with where we are now, we have substituted um, disunity for unity. We have substituted division for for collective purpose. Uh, We have um, become a nation of two sides, neither of which uh, are willing to uh, go any great distance to you know, talk to each other, to work with each other, and to find common solutions to our nation's problems. Um, you know, for instance, uh, we we find that you know governments, particularly state governments, are you know going out of their way, bending over backwards to roll back many of the progressive uh, things that have benefited uh, not just you know, people of color, but, you know, people on the lower end of the, of the, the spectrum, the economic and social uh, spectrum. Um, you know, we look at, as there's an article that came out in The Guardian on um, September 7th that uh, recounts how, you know, Florida, my favorite state, Governor 
Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is looking at revoking uh, constitutional safeguards for Florida's black voters. And, you know, the article uh, talks about how the congressional map, which was drawn uh, in mid-August of last year, uh, made it harder for black voters in North Florida to elect the candidate of their choosing. Uh, Another state doing what we have seen happen in many other uh, predominantly southern states uh, as well. The article written by Sam Levine from The Guardian says that from from 2016 until last year, Florida's 5th congressional district had stretched more than 150 miles across the northern part of the state, from Jacksonville to just west of Tallahassee. It was a portion of the state once home to the Ku Klux Klan and lynchings. In 2022, it was represented by Al Lawson, a black Democrat, and 46% of eligible voters were black. Um, The article continues, that year DeSantis went out of his way to chop the district up into four majority white ones, all of which elected a Republican last fall. Uh, According to Jasmine Bernie Clark, founder of Equal Ground, uh, which is a voter engagement nonprofit, uh, it, in her quote, is it limits their voice, it limits their representation in Congress, it limits the goods and services that they are expected to receive. Uh, The needs from North Florida are different from South Florida, Florida. The representation should match those needs as well. So, you know, we've we've talked about this on this program numerous times about how so many of the uh, red states, particularly, again, those in the South, such as Florida and Texas and Alabama and Georgia, uh, have taken extraordinary uh, measures to restrict the access and impact of minority and uh, poor uh, votes in the state. Uh, As we've also talked about, in many cases, uh, the actions of these Republicans not only disenfranchise uh, people of color, but also disenfranchise uh, white Republican voters, uh, as I said, who live in rural areas or happen to be uh, poor uh, you know, and, and so forth. As reported in the article, um, it goes on to state, it was the kind of concession that politicians, wary of doing anything that could be perceived as motivated by racial animus, rarely make. And it was particularly striking in Florida, where a provision in the state's constitution specifically outlaws diminishing the influence of black votes, voters rather in that way. Voters overwhelmingly approved that position, that provision, as part of a set of anti-gerrymandering reforms called the Fair Districts Amendments in 2010. So it was no surprise that Circuit Judge J. Lee Marsh struck down the map, quote, under the stipulated facts in the lawsuit, plaintiffs have shown that the enacted plan results in the diminishment of black voters ability to elect to elect their candidate of choice in violation of the Florida Constitution he wrote in his ruling it's more like common sense according to Brenda Holt a Democratic County Commissioner in Gladsden County which is uh, which was on the western edge of Lawson's old district and is the only majority black county in Florida Now, Governor DeSantis has already launched an appeal on the ruling, and the case is likely to go to Florida's Supreme Court, where he has appointed five of the seven justices. And the uh, governor, according to the article, has set his sights uh, on an even bigger goal, getting rid of the protection in the state constitution altogether. It, you know, is, is part of a broader conservative push in the courts to limit considerations of race in redistricting, even when it's being used to protect voters of color. 
So as we've seen time and time again, and we've brought these stories to you here on this program, but you know, legal battles over black representation and redistricting uh, have been occurring across the U.S. South. Um, even though that's been happening, the fight in Florida is unique. Um, other cases uh, that we've talked about focused on whether states like Alabama and Louisiana are required to add districts to ensure black voters can choose their preferred candidate. The Florida case is the only one that involves dismantling an existing district that was allowing black voters to uh, choose their preferred candidate if they are able to do so. So, you know, in, two, in 2015, the Florida Supreme Court ordered the state to adopt the current configuration of the 5th Congressional District to preserve the ability of black voters in that part of Florida to elect the candidate they want. Uh, once the district went in place, it became illegal for the state to get rid of it under the Florida Constitution. Now, DeSantis uh, is you know, being bold in his approach to it. He thinks the bar on diminishment itself is illegal. Uh, drawing the district, lawyers for the state argued, requires mapmakers to go out of their way to consider race. That consideration, they argue, um, you know, violates the 14th Amendment, which guarantees equal protection of law to all citizens. Uh, translation, uh, by drawing a district that favors uh, black voters, as in this example, you're actually discriminating against the non-black voters, white voters, uh, in that district. Uh, it's similar to an argument that was made in Alabama. Uh, it is, uh, you know, similar to arguments we have also seen in other states, again, primarily in the South. Now, the Florida case is unique because it involves a state-based constitutional provision it could have broader impl implications, according to the article, if it reaches the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's according to Mark Gaber, Senior Director of Redistricting at the Campaign Legal Center, a nonprofit group. The court could be, could be forced to decide whether the history of past discrimination makes it constitutional to prohibit the diminishment, the retrogression of minority voter strength. Translation, uh, if this case could be decided in a way that would make considering the diminishment of uh, votes of, of any particular group uh, you know, illegal. So it, its decision could also affect a handful of other states that have also uh, have their standards barring what's called retrogression. So you know, so the the upshot was, um, regardless how future appeals turn out, supporters of the move uh, are are pleased with the victory they received in court. Uh, according to um, Ms. Bernie Clark, uh, said it felt like freedom. It felt like we were being unshackled from the belief that our votes do not count or that they do not matter. So what is our takeaway from this as, as we um, wind down this, this segment of the show? Well, the takeaway is this. When you boil it down to its root points, uh, the realization is that uh, Republicans and right-wing uh, members of the Republican Party, uh, so-called MAGA, or whatever you want to call them, um, understand that in a straight competition with votes that they are outnumbered by uh, Democrat, progressive, independent voters pretty much across the board. So what they have come to know is that if we can't win in a fair fight, we're going to change the rules. Uh, we're going to change the way the game is played so that the only possible outcome is for us to win. They've done it already in terms of what they have put in place to achieve the levels of gerrymandering 
that we see in so many uh, Republican-controlled states uh, across the country. And now they are diving down into the details. They are looking at what specific things in whether it's um, state constitutions or whether it's the, the national constitution. What key components are there that need to be eliminated in order for, you know, basically a, a red sweep of the board, uh, you know, in every election up and down the ticket um, going forward. And contrary to that, what needs to happen by um, Democrats, by progressive, by independents, and also by moderate Republicans who think that that approach is too extreme is the votes need to be put in place to change who is running the show. So if you are in a state and you that is a red state and you are Republican and you disagree with what your party is doing in terms of disenfranchisement, diminishment of votes and others, then you need to exercise your vote and identify and elect candidates who feel as you feel. And they're out there. You know, the, the Republican Party is not monolithic. The Republican Party is not all ultra-conservative. The Republican Party is not all MAGA. So you need to identify those candidates who, as we've said many times, think as you think and feel as you feel about the issues of the day and support those candidates. Same thing for Democrats, independents, and progressives. Identify those candidates who believe as you believe, who think as you think, and who do according to your wishes and support them. Get registered, go out, register your friends and your family, uh, get out there, uh, be active, be engaged, and vote on election day. Don't, elect, don't let election days slip by without casting your vote. And that doesn't just mean waiting for the national elections uh, for uh, House and Senate and president and so forth. Do this at your local level, because believe it or not, it's at the local level where this effort, uh, the rubber meets the road in, in the redistricting efforts, in the gerrymandering efforts, in the voter disenfranchisement efforts. Uh, pay attention to what's being done. Pay attention to who is talking about these things and then you know, do your diligence, do your homework. Find out what that means in terms of your uh, access uh, to the ballot, your access to your elected representatives and your access to a uh, government, whether it's local, state, or federal, that reflects your beliefs in what America is and what America should be. Uh, don't let them do this by staying home. And I, I mean that for Republicans, I mean it for Democrats, I mean it for independents. Uh, you know, we have come to a place in this country where Republicans believe that, you know, the world will end if Democrats are in charge. And Democrats believe that the world will end if Republicans are in charge. This country is 240 plus years old. We have survived and thrived through Democratic administrations, through Republican administrations, and we will continue to do so with uh, the, the support, encouragement, and votes of an informed and educated electorate. So your, your homework assignment is clear. Get registered, verify your registration, get out there on election day, gather up your friends and family and those in your circle, and go vote your choice. Don't let a small number of people decide your future. Finally, consider this. The most conservative wing of the Republican Party represents uh, something less than 25% of all of the registered voters in the country. So right now that means that if you do nothing or if you stay home or if you don't vote that 
you know, one out of four people are going to decide your future for you. Don't let that happen. You be in charge. Uh, you be in command of your future. And the only way you can do that is by getting out there, getting registered and voting on Election Day. So we will uh, take our break here. When we come back on the other side, uh, we're going to talk about a few other uh, points that are happening in some other states. You're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. I was going to get my voter ID card because they said you had to have it in order to be able to vote. When I got there, I approached the gentleman at the counter and told him what I wanted. I showed him my veterans card. He said that was no good. He said you had to have a state-issued ID card in order to be able to vote. Seniors, women, people of color, young adults, those with low incomes, people with disabilities. Every citizen needs to review your documentation now to make sure you can vote in November. Please check with your local county election board to make sure the name on your photo ID closely matches the name you used when you registered to vote. Please contact us at 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-687-8683. And welcome back. Welcome back to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. We're having a discussion and talking about uh, voter registration, diminishment of uh, voting districts, redistricting, gerrymandering, and so forth. And you know, if you followed this program over the course of the last three years, this is a subject that is not new to the Fired Up uh, repertoire. We have talked about this on numerous occasions. Uh, but what we are seeing now, in, in my opinion, is a uh, instead of a behind-the-scenes kind of working against the system that has been done in the past by uh, conservative and Republican right-wing legislators and lawmakers, we are now seeing much more blatant and out-in-the-open violations. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, There was an article in Roll Call uh, by Ryan uh, Taranelli. Uh, This was uh, posted on September 5th. And uh, the headline is, Federal Court Names Special Master to Redraw Alabama Congressional Map. Court Sees No Reason to Give State Another Chance to Draw the Maps. So let, let's talk about that for a second. To give you a little bit of background, um, the original uh, district map that was drawn up by the state of Alabama after the 20. Uh, 20 census was completed uh, only included one minority uh, district even though Alabama's uh, population currently has 25 percent African-American residents uh, not and and more minorities not you know Asian uh, Latin Hispanic and so forth yet they don't have, uh, according to the lawsuit that was filed, the districts that were drawn do not give minority voters an opportunity to elect candidates of their preference. Uh, the idea behind all of this, and you'll, you'll hear this phrase, um, you know, electing candidates of their choosing or of their preference, uh, it, it isn't that they necessarily want districts Uh, that are all black, all Hispanic, all Asian, and so forth. But they want districts that give minorities a fair opportunity to elect uh, candidates of their choosing. So in order to do that, there must be a significant percentage uh, or a majority percentage of minority voters uh, in that. And that's staying in line with... um, what has been going on since the Supreme Court earlier this year um, reaffirmed its interpretation of the Voting Rights Act, uh, rejecting the claim in uh, Alabama uh, to uh, 
in challenging the law. And they cited Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act says voting district lines can't result in discrimination against minority voters who must be given a chance to elect candidates of their choosing. And the, uh, the, the lawsuit that followed in Alabama was heard uh, by a three-judge uh, appeals uh, panel, and they, uh, in turn, handed it over to a uh, court-appointed uh, special master uh, who was given uh, roughly about three weeks to submit proposals for a new Alabama congressional map. So uh, the ruling from the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Alabama directed the special master to file three proposed remedial maps by September 25th, or roughly in about two weeks from now. Uh, the decision by the panel uh, results after months um, after the Supreme Court uh, ruled, as I just said, that the previous district's lines diluted the electoral power of black voters in the state. Uh, so, as I said, Alabama has a black population currently of more than 25%, but they have only one district represented by a black Democrat and six districts where white voters predominantly elect Republicans. So, you know, the, the order was quick to be praised by Democrats, citing that, you know, the quarters rejected the state legislature's latest attempt to dilute the voices and voting power of African Americans all across our state. And that's according to Representative Terry A. Sewell, Alabama's sole Democrat in Congress. Uh, she called the victory, she called the decision another victory for black voters in the state. Uh, according to her, while we were outraged by the Alabama state legislature's open defiance of the Supreme Court's original order to create two majority minority districts, uh, she said she's nonetheless grateful that a federal court has now intervened to protect the voices of Alabama's black voters. So to, to give you a little backstory on that, as I said, the uh, initial districts that were drawn after the, the uh, 2020 census uh, were challenged in a lawsuit, and uh, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court where they, um, they upheld the uh, lower court's decision that the districts drawn uh, violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and therefore needed to be redrawn. So the, the task of redrawing the districts was sent back to the state of Alabama, uh, and they drew new districts, which really didn't change uh, the overall outcome. So what you resulted in is uh, one district where the majority of voting age residents uh, are black, and a second where the voting age population is roughly 40% black. And, you know, the, the follow-up suit to that alleges that the 40% district doesn't uh, provide a fair opportunity for black voters to elect uh, a, a candidate of their choosing as the Voting Rights Act called for and as the order to redraw the districts uh, specified. So essentially, Alabama uh, skirted some of the Supreme Court's uh, ruling and just you know, drew districts that they thought were you know, you know, good enough, uh, to, to, use a, to use a term. Um, the, you know, the, the issue here is that whatever districts they end up with are going to be the districts uh, for you know, seven more years until the next census and the next opportunity to draw new district lines. And, you know, it, it is, you know, uh, one thing as they, they cited um, in, in fighting the redistricting that came out is they've had two bites at this apple, and they being the state of Alabama. So now, as the outcome of the second lawsuit, uh, a special master 
has been appointed and been tasked with drawing uh, better districts representing what uh, you know the the legal decision required so we, we will see how that turns out uh, in a related story we have a similar situation uh, in neighboring state of Georgia uh, this comes from Associated Press and this also came out on September 5th uh, headline Georgia redistricting trial begins with a clash over what federal law requires for black voters so in a similar situation Georgia's voting district maps were challenged in a lawsuit uh, which uh, went you know up to the uh, Georgia Supreme Court I understand um, and you know as I said much like Alabama Georgia's uh, districts violate section 2 of the Voting Rights Act you know again Voting district lines can't result in discrimination against minority voters who must be given a chance to elect candidates of their choosing. So um, the case in Georgia is being heard by U.S. District Judge Steve Jones, and he's hearing that case without a jury, so he is the one who will ultimately rule on it. Uh, the plaintiffs argue that Georgia's failure is clear. After the state added nearly 500,000 black residents between 2010 and 2020, but drew no new black majority state Senate districts and only two additional black majority state House districts. They also argue Georgia should have another majority congressional district. Sophie Lynn Lakin, um, who is an attorney representing the plaintiffs, uh, said, the court can and should guarantee that black voters are not denied the opportunity to participate on equal terms. Uh, lawyers for the plaintiffs said that white voters continue to vote against candidates preferred by black voters, proving the Voting Rights Act remedy of drawing black majority districts is still needed. Uh, in other words, uh, in order for uh, black and minority voters to overcome uh, the white majority representation in the district, uh, the district needs to be reshaped. Um, Brian Tyson, on the other hand, defending the state's maps, argued that Georgia has a very different set of facts than Alabama, which prompted the recent court ruling. Tyson pointed the election of Democrats Joan, uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock to the Senate as well as President Joe Biden's success in carrying Georgia's 16 electoral votes in 2020 as proof that candidates favored by black voters can win. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, that argument is a little bit lightweight. Um, you know, Ossoff and Warnock uh, faced uh, it, what could be called flawed candidates in that they had some legal and other baggage uh, that they were fighting as part of their um, their campaign so I mean it it can be said the way they said it but you know it may not be totally uh, fair um, you know the argument is is made that if Georgia's electoral system is not equally open to black voters what would have to change and that was asked by uh, by uh, Mr. Tyson and if the system isn't currently equally open where is the failure to follow the Voting Rights Act so you know he's arguing that uh, the the plaintiffs proposed plans crossed the line from legally being aware of race to illegally drawing maps mostly based on race that's a charge the, the plaintiffs actually are denying um, so what they were doing, uh, according to uh, what uh, Tyson was said, uh, the, they had an expert named William Cooper who was brought in to draw alternate maps. And he's testified that it's possible to create more black majority districts. Uh, Cooper said in drawing the alternate maps, he considered a number of traditional district drawing factors including reducing the number of counties, uh, cities, and voting precincts that are split between districts. Put a pin in that, because that is 
one of the tactics that gets done frequently. They will take a uh, voting precinct uh, or a county that is you know, majority-minority, and they will split it between two districts. Effectively, that's how they dilute the vote. All right. So he's saying that um, he considered those factors, uh, and by reducing the number of county cities and voting precincts split between districts, uh, he's, his claim is that race did not predominate. Uh, he also uh, continued the state's argument that Georgia's maps were drawn to protect incumbents and to prioritize Republican majorities, motives that are legal under federal law. He argued that recent voting behavior shows party, not race, is the most important factor motivating voters. And to a certain extent, that is true. Given the, the current political divisions in our country, party is very important in uh, how, uh, how the electorate votes. However, protecting and prioritizing Republican majorities um, while legal under federal law are, you know, again, in my opinion, unfair in that it protects candidates that, you know, may not be worthy or capable or may have uh, issues that uh, if, if the slate was completely open and free, uh, they would not be elected. But because the deck is stacked in favor of one party or another, uh, it, it uh, covers a multitude of sins that you know, candidates may have. Uh, and you can look no further than you know, some of the candidates that have arrived uh, in, in Congress and you know, in state legislatures and state senates uh, to see how that plays out. So, you know, it, it, it is, you, you know, it, you, they're, they're trying to say that you can't presume race when partisanship is an equally plausible explanation. My argument to that is neither of them are, while they may be plausible, uh, they shouldn't be valid. Uh, the the end result, and, and it's part of the, the difficulty that our electoral system faces, is that rather than choosing people based on their qualifications, uh, and, you know, a, as a first priority in how we select our candidates, uh, we are running our elections as popularity contest. Who's got the best TV ads? Who scored the most gotchas uh, in the debate? You know, all of these things play into what people think of when they go to the polls rather than, you know, who is qualified to hold the position. You know, think um, George Santos. Think, you know, uh, Marjorie Green from the 14th District in Georgia. You know, uh, you know any number of uh, candidates. You know, and, you know, there have been Democratic candidates as well that that really are kind of head scratchers as to wondering how they got elected. Well, the reason is it's because they had the slicker television ads, they presented a better image um, and, and so forth. We can see that across the board, both at the national level and at the state and local level. What we need to be doing is to get back to... Um, digging deeper, digging wider, finding the, the candidates and elevating them who are qualified to hold the office. Not just, you know, look good in a TV ad or have a really smooth speaking voice or whatever. Um, if they're not qualified to hold a position, we should not be electing them. So, you know, that just goes to what we say here on this program all the time. You got to do your homework. You got to dig wider, you got to get dig deeper, and you have to get your information from multiple sources so that you have the best balance of information at hand when you uh, are selecting a candidate or when you're going to the polls. You, you can't just base it on who, you know, this political group uh, or this lobby group uh, or, you know, this corporation 
is is picking uh you can't judge it based on who spent the most money on tv radio and and you know media at social media ads you need to we need to be electing candidates that are able and qualified to get the job done now that that's not throwing a wet blanket over the entire uh, you know elected office holders in this country but it is saying that there is a predominance at least again in my opinion that many of the candidates who now hold seats uh, whether it's at the state uh, the local or the federal level uh, their qualifications their bona fides for holding that seat are shaky at at best and you know downright non-existent at worst and again you know if we look at candidates like you know george santos in new york and like uh, lauren bobert and you know others that you look at or you listen to and you go what qualifies them to hold that office uh well they just present better uh they speak better whatever uh, but are they qualified are they the most qualified people that we can find to to uh, run for these positions and get elected to these offices these are the questions that we need to be asking so as you look out over the political field in you know your area of the country uh, go beyond you know the TV ads and the, the the flyers and the posters and the social media memes and all of that uh, dig into their qualifications uh, what qualifies them to be a US congressperson uh, what qualifies them to hold uh, the position of governor what qualifies them to hold a position of state senator or you know district court judge or whatever and if they don't meet those those qualifications don't vote for them find someone else elevate someone else to to run for that office and you know that's how we're going to change and get back to uh, the more responsible government that we had you know 20 30 40 years ago um, not saying that partisanship wasn't a thing in you know in the 70s and 80s but we had candidates who really uh, had you know brought something to the game and that's that's where we need to get back to so and, and again my opinion um, so you know as we look ahead to the upcoming elections um, the final final thought I have is I wanted to give you uh, a few things to consider um, to ensure number one that you know your your vote uh, gets registered and counted uh, and that you know your voice is heard so I, I've got seven items here and there's more but these are the uh, probably the the pick of the bunch uh, item number one register go register now you can do it online there's uh, websites you know including vote.org ballotpedia.org where you can go and get registered to vote in your uh, in your district based on your address once you get registered follow up check your registration status at least monthly as we've reported on this show and in other news outlets um, the the conservative right is is expending great effort to find any reason they can to purge uh, Democrat and independent uh, and progressive voters from the rolls to reduce the amount of competition they have uh, at the polling place so you can also use these sites and others to locate your polling place go find out where it is because it may have moved that's another tactic that's used in the disenfranchisement uh, diminishment of voting is to with as little fanfare as possible move a polling place to another location we saw that happen in 2022 as well as in 2020 uh, at the national level 
and don't don't be a a single voter reach out to your family reach out to you know uh friends your social circles your social media contacts uh co-workers uh find out are you registered to vote are you going to vote in the upcoming election uh you know if if not why not uh, talk to them talk the the subjects what's important to them what candidates are talking about issues that they are concerned about um, offer you know in addition offer to take them to the polling places on election day carpool you know get people to the polls voting is a a process of numbers and if one side is working to diminish the numbers the other side has to work just that much harder to make sure that wherever they move the polling place to or wherever they relocate the the only drop box uh, ballot box for ballots in your district you need to to make sure that that you get there so that you can take advantage of that and also don't forget when we talk about voting we're not just talking about the national elections yes the november 2024 elections are are vitally important they will determine who's going to be president who's going to control the senate who's going to control the house but there's also a whole down ballot of local elections and as i've told you many times on a day-to-day basis your local politicians have a much bigger impact on your daily lives than national politicians the president doesn't control who sits on your school board your congressman doesn't control that neither does your senator in washington control that that are that's controlled out of your state legislature so you need to be engaged uh, and and make sure that you are voting in any local or state elections that occur and don't overlook the special elections there are special elections that are held throughout the year that can change the makeup of your uh, local elections, your, your city, county elections, your state house, your state senate, uh, and, and so forth, as well as national elections that you know, occur to fill positions that may become vacant. So you know, make sure that you are following um, any of the elections uh, sites that give you lists of upcoming uh, special elections or uh, the, the so forth. Uh, Ballotpedia is a real good source for that. Uh, you can look up your state and see what special elections are coming up uh, right down to the local level. So, you know, all of that is accessible. All of that is information uh, you, you must get a hold of. Uh, and then finally, number seven, and I can't stress this enough, vote. V to the O to the T to the E. Vote. Once you get registered, once you commit to keeping up with what's going on, exercise your vote. Get your friends and family to go out and vote with you. Um, you know, even if you got to bribe them with dinner or whatever. Um, but the, as I said, Voting is a numbers game, and if one side is trying to stack the deck against you, the way you beat that is with numbers. So that's the key. Those are the keys, those seven things. Uh, make sure that you, know, you are informed, that you are registered, that you are uh, checking on it, uh, that you are looking both uh, to the top of the ticket as well as all the way down the ticket so you know you're looking at everything from president down to dog catcher um, but you got to get out there and then exercise your right to vote that's how you win whether you're democrat republican independent whatever um, that's how you win it's the numbers so word to the wise all right that's going to wrap it up for this week's show thank you all so much uh, for listening and and you know, supporting the podcast and supporting WJMS Media. Uh, we appreciate it and, you know, look forward to uh, 
further discussions and we'll bring we'll be touching on this again obviously as we roll down the road toward november 2024 we will revisit this uh subject probably a couple of times so that being said everybody please stay safe uh take a moment and and think about and reflect on you know the events of september 11th and the impacts that that had on your life your family's lives and the lives of your your neighbors and community uh and let's work and try and be more unified let's work and try and heal the divides that affect our country and that starts at the local level too all right everybody have a good one be safe i look forward to talking with you all again in seven days Thank you.